Tokes. Welcome to the next episode in our Back to Basics mini-series. The series is an opportunity to revisit some of the major tenets of crypto, from Bitcoin to wallets and security, from mining to staking. Today we speak to Brian Hoffman, Product Manager for Crypto Funding at Kraken. Brian is responsible for coordinating the listing of new crypto assets on Kraken, as well as liaising with relevant teams to plan and develop new products for the exchange platform. He's had seven plus years experience building software for peer-to-peer Bitcoin trading as a founder of Open Bazaar, and today he explains the differences between proof of work and proof of stake, how open source development can benefit from on-chain governance systems, how you can participate in staking, and what the bleeding edge looks like with parachains. Please note that this podcast does not constitute financial product advice. You should consider obtaining independent advice from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Brian, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm uh, really excited to chat with you again. We you know, had you on before and I uh, want to tap your, tap your um, vast brain. So look, today we're going to talk about uh, crypto mining and maybe broaden out beyond that. But just again for the listener, uh, I'd love you to tell you know how you arrived at crypto real briefly yeah sure um i've been interested in in kind of in the space i guess for for quite a few years probably around 2013 early 2013 is kind of when i started getting into it um and i started the uh, open bazaar project in 2014 which was like a uh, decentralized peer-to-peer marketplace using bitcoin um so pretty familiar with uh the deep inner workings of Bitcoin. And, uh, and then obviously I came to work at Kraken last year and uh, I've been really excited to see how it works within a centralized <laughs> business. I ran a, a decentralized software uh, project before that. So I get to see both sides of the coin. It's been mm. great. Yeah, it's really cool. And we're, we're really privileged to have you, um, you know, on the team bringing all that experience. So, okay, well, I think Bitcoin's the perfect place to, to dive right in because this is where you know, this is what people think about when they think about Bitcoin as well. They get this idea that there's this that there's a mining function that people go out they mine Bitcoin. Can you can you explain what that means? Yeah, sure. So you know, the concept of mining is is really kind of a clever way of describing what we consider work. So uh, Bitcoin, as most people know, is a proof of work blockchain, and um, this is basically a way to uh, to show that people, uh, you know, have proven uh, they've 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 actually performed some activity, some task uh, to earn the right to create a new block on top of the blockchain, and, and it's called work, and it's, uh, and it's usually like a mathematical puzzle, and that is, that whole process is called mining, um, sort of like a miner might dig for gold, uh, you know, cryptocurrency miners are mining for uh, rewards by uh, adding blocks to the blockchain. And those rewards, where do they come from? So the process of rewarding miners is actually built into the, the source code for the blockchain. So in Bitcoin's case, um, the, the people running nodes on the network, they all agree to uh, a consensus algorithm. They all run the same uh, algorithm. And that algorithm states uh, the what they call an emission rate, which is basically like how many tokens are rewarded to miners for for finding a block and in bitcoin's case you know it it's a certain amount and then after so long it will like cut in half until eventually all 21 million bitcoins are mined and then uh 
then the rewards that are actually given to miners would be just the fees, transaction fees. Uh, there would no longer be any kind of like automated uh, tokens generated, like no new coins would be created. Yeah. So it's a combination of those two things. Cool. And and if we zoom out a little bit, like, so that's the functional side. Why why was it designed like that? Like, what's the reason that you want this problem, that you want this work in the system, that you want this you know energy being expended? Because in the end, the puzzle that's being solved, you know, it's a cryptographic puzzle. You're spinning CPUs, you're spending electricity, you're building these mining rigs. And people have seen those photos, you know, of like, Mm-hmm. Like, like Indiana Jones kind of warehouses full of computers, or outdoor ones, right? <laughs> like, so there's people kind of get this image in their head, and it's like, why? Why do you have this uh, problem set, and what is it? What's the goal there? Yeah, I mean, this goes way back before Bitcoin, right? Like, Bitcoin itself is a culmination of a bunch of different uh, research projects, and there's a ton of things cited in the the actual Bitcoin white paper that you can go and read and see. Um, uh, because computer researchers for for many years have been trying to figure out a way to um, kind of create an immutable record in in some kind of decentralized way. Because until that, until Bitcoin came along, pretty much you had to rely on someone to own a database and to protect that database. Um, there was no way to kind of do it in a in a you know decentralized way. So, um, but essentially, you know, you're a lot of the the concepts come from like spam pre- prevention. So. Um, there was, there was kind of like, um, you know, Adam back created this, like, uh, and, and I may butcher some of this because I haven't read all this in so long, but That's essentially right. it was a way, <laughs> it was a way to require people to perform like these computations on their computer in order to, to send like email messages. So it was like a way to like combat spam because spammers essentially like dump millions and, you know, trillions and billions and whatever of messages onto people to try and like harass them or, or to like get them to do things. So if you create a cost in order to, you know, send an email, then you kind of cut down on the amount that people can do, uh, you know, just for no reason. And, and that's just like one example of, of kind of concepts that were incorporated into the blockchain in order to uh, create mm. a fair system that people can't like uh, manipulate. Yeah. So it's like a disincentive really. Well, there's an opportunity cost there because you could be spending all that money on something else. So, so there's a kind of binding in, and it means that you know you have you have a set of incentives there that bind people around um, the act of 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 proof of work, and and there's this kind of physics then in the system. There's this there's there's energy that has been expended, and and then the system itself, in order to be a bad actor, you got to spend a lot to be the bad guy then, right? So yeah, I think it's fascinating um, that the and I, we actually mentioned on a previous episode with Mark, which is worth a listen um, for our listeners who maybe haven't checked that one out. You know ab- about these kind of early um, stage technologies, you know pre Bitcoin technologies that kind of rolled up into into this um, version, you know this version of or this deployment, and um, and so yeah, it's this, this like really great um, grab and go of of awesome ideas, kind of pulled together in a really elegant way. Okay, cool. So so that's proof of work. And then, you know, everyone who's in the crypto space now has been heard this kind of phrase bandied around and, and I want to break it down for people who may have not heard it as well, but there's another kind of uh, kind of mining mechanism out there and it's called proof of stake. Could you could you explain that to me? Yeah, sure. So um so you know in proof of work like we mentioned you, you you're generating uh, new blocks by uh, pr- proving that you can solve a, a mathematical puzzle. And by doing that, you're expending a lot of energy. 
in proof of stake, essentially what you're doing is you're kind of entering into a lottery of of um, of sort. So you if you hold on to uh, you know X amount of tokens on the platform and you stake them or you lock them up uh, into the system, uh, you you earn a chance uh, in this kind of lottery to win um, uh, a block to like be able to add a block to the blockchain. And so if there are a million coins and you have 100,000 of them staked into this and there's 900,000 other coins being staked by other people, you you effectively have like a 10% chance of being the person who gets to add a new block to the blockchain. And in that case, you would be you would get the rewards for that. And so um, you're basically proving ownership of a stake of tokens in order to try and uh, mine or, or maybe mint a new block on the chain. So it's a similar kind of principle here, but instead of um, kind of energy expenditure and cost, you've kind of got the lockup cost of of putting your coins at stake. And can you potentially lose those? Like, what's the deal there? Do you have a cost there? Yeah. So, I mean, if everything goes right, then generally there's no there's no cost. But there is a mechanism built into proof of stake systems that uh, penalizes minters or miners who uh, who don't do the proper validation of blocks. So let's say you um, you accidentally put in a invalid transaction into your block and you try to add that to the blockchain. If other validators discover this, then they report that back to the chain and you get uh, penalized, which means which is generally called slashing. There's other ways that you can um, you can get penalized. Uh, for instance, if your uh, node fails to perform some kind of validation, um, like like to say your thing goes offline for a while, um, you can also get slashed for that kind of event as well. But it's all highly dependent on the blockchain. The rules are are, are different in on many systems, uh, so it's not like a one size fits all. There's different strategies. Yeah, so there's a bunch of different. Uh, types of proof of stake then out there with their own idiosyncrasies. And just to be super clear for the listener, people aren't putting Bitcoin into these networks, right? They're putting the native coin of each of the networks at, at stake. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, there are some really interesting new systems out there that are doing things where like you can wrap, um, you know, bit your Bitcoin into like their native coin and then reward, you know, get rewards for that. But I bet it, but I mean, when it comes down to it, you're, yeah, you're, you're doing this on the native coin on that network. Yeah. Right. And, and are there any, I mean, there are critics of every system, including proof of work, and we should get into some of these, you know, so, so um, one thing that I quite often get asked is, oh, why do we have to spend so much energy? Um, and, and I guess the other side of this is what, you know, doesn't it mean in the proof of stake world that if you have heaps of money, you can control the network? Yeah, I mean, you just described two kind of primary cons of each system. Um, this kind of argument started a civil war before, you know, it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be having the knives out. Yeah, exactly. And and I'll, t- I'll try to answer this without like kind of poking or prodding either side too hard. But, you know, essentially with proof of work, you know, it, it do- I mean, it's, it's not debatable. It consumes a lot of energy. And the more popular the system gets, uh, the more energy it consumes. But I think proponents of Bitcoin um, and other proof of work systems would say that, you know, it's it, there's an incentive system in place uh, for, for miners to find new and more optimal ways of, of uh, creating energy. And so, you know, 
Bitcoin on its own has has generated a lot of uh, interest in solar powered uh, geothermal. In fact, in El Salvador recently, they stood up um, uh, you know a geothermal energy uh, plant. It's based on a volcano there, which is kind of crazy. But these are the it's kinds wild. of things that people are trying to. <laughs> yeah, this is what they're trying to build in order to um, you know increase energy consumption while while lowering um, the harms to the environment that come with uh, you know normal energy you know uh, generation on the proof of stake side you know one of the biggest gripes i think over you know the existence of those systems has been that it really is just a it's just a financial fight like i mean if you own all the so- the tokens on the system then then you're in control you know if 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 a network only has a few validators and you know they have a lot of they have a lot of pull but you know i mean that both of these types of systems have uh, a point at which they're they're insecure. I mean, if if Bitcoin is is very small and does not have a lot of hash power, you know, being created or used on the system, um, you know, you can get fifty one percent attack where someone can spend you know a very small amount of money set, setting up their infrastructure and and control the blockchain. And right now, Bitcoin is massive, and so that's like a low likelihood. But for other blockchains, it is possible. And for proof of stake. You know, like I said, if, if, if you have some large whales that want to manipulate the network, that could be possible, you know, in some circumstances. But I think it's it's safe to say that, you know, both of these types of systems have been running for, for several years now and uh, are operating properly. So, um, you know, they can work. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of work. And, and, and in fact, there's there's some stuff that has nothing to do with the communities that has created, you know, more uh, distribution of of hashing power in 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 mining, and some of that's innovation based. You know, with smaller modular rigs. And I actually had a really great conversation with a with a group who do uh, modular rigs, and they're a fully ESG company, and they put them on site at at solar uh, farms, and they kind of um, you know they deploy um, in a distributed fashion. It's really really interesting stuff. And then on the proof of stake side, you've got obviously networks that are being developed that are so new and and encouraging adoption um and they have a vested interest in in kind of decentralizing to to be totally honest because if there's only one holder of the coins well they're not very useful are they but speaking of that let's just talk a little bit about for the for the for the next five or ten minutes while i've got you here um let's just talk a little bit about some of these um newer networks how they're um they're making use of communities to 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 make decisions because one of the things that I talked about on a previous show about Bitcoin was that you know this is open source technology and you you raised the the kind of um, the specter of the open source uh, argument which sometimes can get quite nasty and people can leave and, we, and we've even seen you know that we, we see that happening all the time but tell me a little bit about some of these you know newer networks that use proof of stake in in some cases but 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 also use communities to help. Uh, drive decisions and use market mechanisms to drive decisions. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know a lot of people have seen what how like the Bitcoin community has operated for for many years. Uh, you know, it's always been held up as like the kind of gold standard of like how a project like that would be maintained. Um, but even then, you know, there are there are core developers that have access to the code. There's um, you know. The miners generally like decide what consensus algorithm we we want to use. I mean, I, I, people argue it's the users, but you know it's probably some combination there thereof because essentially 
you know, the nodes, whatever you're running, you know, that the more people that run the same type of version and then that becomes Bitcoin. So um, that's kind of how governance is, is controlled there. But in a proof of stake system or, or in other, you know, other types of blockchains, um, there's this desire to kind of create a more dem- democratic uh, governance mechanism. And there's, there's a ton of different models for, for how this can work. I mean, we're kind of at like the early, early days of this. Yeah, it's hyper experimental, right? Yeah. So th- there are experimental models for, for what we call governance, um, which, you know, back if you go back to like Bitcoin, governance is, is really just, um, you know, whoever runs nodes, the, the, the nodes software, you know, decide what Bitcoin is, right? Like, so if everybody gets together and they start running a different type of software and they call that, you know, Bitcoin, then that's Bitcoin. Um, and so there's a lot of like this, like jockeying for position and like strategy and like the miners want this and then the core developers want that. And then the users want this. And, you know, that, that's, that's been like kind of a epic struggle for a long time. Uh, and I think there's this desire by some people to create like a more democratic system where, um, you know, it's just more smooth, like to be able to make Mm. decisions and upgrade the blockchain. Like Bitcoin is like purposely difficult to, to change. Right. Like it's meant to stay static unless there's an actual real need to change it. And, you know, there's like blockchains like Polkadot, which are just meant to be able to be very flexible and dynamic. And and in fact, they they very quickly can upgrade their entire network um, just by using their their built in governance model. Um, And so, you know, I think everybody's experimenting with these different ways of doing this because there is no proven, you know, best of breed solution for that. And uh, we don't know what what might be done to like exploit this in the future. So, um, you know, it's it's really interesting to see see these different types of models like uh, grow. And and I think that I actually was I actually thought a lot of this stuff early, you know, I was seeing it early on in its very basic form. I was thinking that eh, this stuff just doesn't seem feasible. It just doesn't seem realistic. It's too complex, too crazy. But a lot of it's working and, and running well now. So it's pretty incredible. It is amazing to watch. Well, I mean, just in terms of those, um, the governance side, but also in terms of the new development side. So we, we've talked a little bit about proof of stake um, and and on Kraken, you know, you can stake your coins. So, so mm-hmm. can you talk to the listener about what happens when you do that? Um, and then... And then I think I'd love you to just explain a little bit again about parachains because even though we did a whole episode and I recommend people go back and listen to it, it'd be great to just have a have a quick summary of that because I think it ties really nicely into to what we've been talking about. Yeah, sure. Um, well, staking has obviously become a really popular thing recently because, um, you know, f- for many years people have just simply traded or um, – you know, cryptocurrencies, one for each other or, or out in and out of fiat. Um, but with these proof of stake systems, um, now there's now there's ability for uh, exchanges and other groups to become like these like staking pools, which essentially they like combine everybody's locked up coins and they, um, you know, they run validators and they those rewards, they can basically split them out around their, their users. And so like Kraken does something similar where if you come on to Kraken and we have like several cryptocurrencies you can stake like Polkadot or Cardano or Flow, Solana, 
you know, you can basically say like, well, I have 10, um, I have 10, uh, souls. I have 10, you know, of, of Solana and I want to stake those. And so you can lock those up willingly and then those go into Kraken staking pool and we earn, we earn more soul from the network for doing that. And then we pay out our, our clients a certain percentage. So say if it's 5%, you would earn 5% each time, um, you know, these payouts happen. And you can just kind of hold on to a, a coin and earn rewards in that way. So it's like a really interesting passive income opportunity for for clients. And a lot of people don't understand it and don't do it because they just don't understand it. They think it's complicated or or not. But um, companies like Kraken, like they you know they hide a lot of that uh, comp you know complexity. Like you don't have to run your own validator. You don't have to worry about being slashed. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just simply lock it up. And when you're done, when you want to get out of it, you can unlock it and, and go away. So it's a really compelling way for people to earn a little bit more cryptocurrency on top of the coins that they already hold. It's pretty amazing. And, and essentially they're becoming a miner, right? By doing that. Yeah, they are. I mean, I think there is one kind of major difference is like um, in proof of stake systems, they generally you can participate in like governance um, activities and you can vote on on certain things. So, you know, if they want to change the staking reward rate to 40% or something, or they want to like stop it completely there, there'll be like an on-chain vote. And, you know, people that are staking can uh, vote on these, these kinds of um, these, these kinds of questions. And, you know, a lot of the centralized uh, networks, they don't participate in this because it's too hard to capture every person's vote and like figure it all out. So um, there are little interesting things like that. Um, and also they're like, it gets kind of crazy. It gets even crazier than that. Like a lot of these blockchains, new projects show up and they'll like airdrop coins to people who are staking. Mm. <laughs> and then it's like, you may miss out on that in some way. So there's a lot of like... Um, like intricate, intricate uh, details to the, these blockchains and, and what's happening around them in these communities um, that I think sometimes you can't capture all of that as a centralized business, but it still requires a tremendous amount of um, uh, tech know-how to do it on your own as well. So there's pros and yeah, cons. There's definitely a, a bit of give and take there. And so um, I think it's a great, a great opportunity for people, especially people who are, you know, um, just coming, you know, coming, for the perhaps the first time to this space, to this world, and understanding what some of these concepts mean, so it's a really, really good way to to engage, I think, and 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 level up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well, Brian, look, just that last point, I guess you know one of those other level ups, and um, and this is a this is an experience that's not necessarily available to everyone in the world yet, but it's another really innovative thing that we're doing in terms of you know providing a service to to users and plugging them into some of these modern models of governance and modern models of software development. Can you just talk a, a little bit about parachains and then and then people who want to learn more can go back and have a listen to that other conversation we had? Yeah, sure. So uh, parachains is a really interesting, um, I guess you could call it an experiment, even though it's it's live, it's still somewhat of an experiment. But essentially, uh, parachain is is kind of a, a connection to the core relay chain. So in Polkadot, there's there's something called a relay chain where where most of this the block creation happens, um, and uh, it, like the security layer is basically this like common relay chain that everybody uses, and um, and then relay chain or um, parachains plug onto that relay chain, 
and um, they can implement their own network essentially. So, you know, if, if you're a new project and you want to create your own blockchain, a lot of people just go out and have to create the entire blockchain from scratch. They have to create, you know, how does the chain start? How do new blocks get created? What are the rewards? What are all these things, right? But in, in the case of Polkadot, you know, that core stuff is already kind of baked in. You just bid on a slot for a parachain. If you win that slot, then you get to you run your own parachain and it kind of runs sandbox across all the other parachains. But the critical thing here is that um, there's a messaging system that allows all the parachains to kind of interoperate with each other. And so one parachain can actually talk to all the other parachains and they can do really, really cool stuff. As far as earning rewards, um, it, it's a little bit different than um, just like straight up staking. So if you uh, see a parachain um, team that, that looks really compelling and like they're doing something really interesting, um, you can basically participate in their, their bid for one of those slots. So they have auctions. These auctions open up. Uh, and the person who wins the auction gets the slot and they get to uh, make their parachain go live on the network. Um, so Kraken customers, and, and like you said, in, in, in um, only certain places in the world, like um, unfortunately, like U.S. Canada customers can't, can't take advantage of this. But the, those who can, you could basically go in and you can lock up your, your tokens, your, your polka dot towards a certain team if they win then those teams will pay out the parachain uh, token as a reward for us for, you know, let's say you want to support Moonbeam and um, you put 10 Polkadot on it. Uh, the Moonbeam team has a certain amount of Moonbeam tokens that they will give you uh, in exchange for that support. And uh, you get those tokens. And then uh, that slot is good for a certain period of time. So on Polkadot, it's like the max of two years. So your coins are locked up. Your dot is locked up for two years, but you get these Moonbeam tokens as a reward for that. And then at the end of the two years, you actually get your polka dot back. So it's kind of a win-win. You get both, which is a really unique, uh, a different proposition. Yeah, it's very novel. I, I mean, I'm sure it's also, you know, it's been driven out of a bunch of different ideas and, 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 and it'd be probably interesting to look at where some of these ideas were generated. Like, are they, are they a pastiche again of, and, and no doubt, there is some influence from previous methodology, right? But it seems like a very novel method for, for achieving these kinds of outcomes, which is essentially, you know, deciding upon how a network is iterated on. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, just look at the, the the founder of Polkadot, Gavin Wood. I mean, he, he's one of the founders of Ethereum. He, he wrote mm. the the EVM for, for Ethereum. So, you know, obviously that has a huge influence on, on what he was building um, along with other projects. Yeah, these, these are kind of like... Game theoretic software uh, architects, right at the really kind of like almost philosophical level. <laughs> it's quite fascinating. There, there's there's got to be some deep documentaries on on, on these guys I, I, out there. We need to find them. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I think like a lot of the early contributors to Bitcoin were coming out of like the uh, cypherpunk um, mm. group, and a lot of these guys were building like all kinds of different cryptographic systems. Um, and tried to create things like eGold and other and others before that didn't didn't really work out. Um, and now we're starting to see like this next generation. I mean, the crazy thing is, is like Bitcoin has been around now long enough where like, you know, some of the kids that are like in their early 20s, like working on this stuff. Um, and I call them kids because I'm almost 40 myself. But, um, you know, these, these young 20 year olds, I mean, 
they were like nine and 10 when Bitcoin came out. So mm. they didn't even get into this stuff. They, they don't even remember all that kind of starting. And they're doing all this like crazy stuff with DeFi, NFTs, you know, consensus algorithms, proof of stake. Like it's just, it's, it's nuts. Yeah, that language is now kind of imbued and is normalized to a certain extent. And we've seen that we've seen that progression over over the years as developers kind of you know grow up or you know immersed in it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's really amazing. Okay. Well, I think it's a perfect place to finish this conversation, Brian. Thanks so much for your time again. It's it's always it's always a pleasure. And have a great one. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Thanks everyone for joining me on this show and for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review on your podcast platform of choice and we'll make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. Until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller and this has been the Crypto Frontier.